So this morning, um, we continue on our series and in the Sermon on the Mount. And I just want to briefly, as we begin to look at these verses, summarize what we have looked at the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, we were looking at salt and light and what that means to be salt and light in the towns and communities that we live in. The importance of us as a church scattering into the different places that we live. Um, looking around, we have Ellen, we have Pitmedin, we have lots of different towns that we scatter into and live in, in those places as disciples of Jesus Christ. But asking that question, well, what gives us that power and recognizing that it is our relationship with God which ultimately underpins all of that and gives us that power and authenticity to live as a follower of Jesus Christ in our lives. Then last week we were looking at what Jesus is addressing when he speaks of fulfilling the law. And it is not being abolished. And we looked at, well, what does it mean? What is the function of the law? What was its purpose? We had a look at the Bible Project video as they explained to us that the, what the law was and what its intent was. And that ultimately it was to love God and to love others. And that these were the very things that Jesus would refer to explicitly later on in Matthew when he would tell us to love God with, with everything that we are, to love our neighbor as ourself, and that on these two things hangs all the law and the prophets. So that's where Jesus has got to as he is teaching this crowd and explaining to them and challenging them about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, what this era of, the, of fulfillment will look like. And one of the first things he addresses now is that of anger. Now what we see is Jesus beginning to drill down beyond actions to the heart of the matter. He recognizes that actions are one thing, but there is a root to these things. And that's what he's beginning to address and what he's beginning to challenge as he teaches the disciples and those that are listening. There is a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And Jesus is poking into that area now as he begins to speak about anger. Now I wonder if we were putting things in a coherent list of priorities when it comes to Christian living, where would we place anger? If you take this even at its most base form, generally if somebody is speaking for, I don't know how long it would have taken Jesus to get through this, but people zone out. They listen for so long and then they drift off, they drift back in, they drift off. That's one of the reasons PowerPoint is quite handy, but Jesus didn't have any of those things. And this is the first thing that he challenges people on, which is that of anger and their concept of what it looks like to be for the idea of an action of murder. So we might think, well, okay, anger. Well, what's the big deal? After all, it's just anger. We could maybe say, yeah, I get angry and I get upset, but it's, it's not like I've killed anyone. I've not done that. And I think I could be fairly confident in saying that 
as I look through this room, none of us have killed a brother and sister in Jesus. Yeah? Well, I've got one person saying that. That's Helen. Thank you, Helen. That's not something we have done. But we do get angry. And at times, we can hold grudges. But we've never done anything as serious as that. But Jesus is actually really interested in the root. That which develops in the heart and begins to impact our perspectives and how we see people, our actions and what we do, our words and what we say to the person, but as importantly to others as well about that person. This is the kind of stuff that Jesus is beginning to touch on in these verses. The letter is different to the spirit. And what he's really interested in is the root of all. And he gives people three different scenarios. The first of these is anger and judgment. If you're angry at your brother or sister, you're liable to judgment, is what Jesus says. And we could think, as we hear that way, hold on, what? Just for getting angry. Well, there are two things here. First is we need to know what Jesus is referring to when he speaks of anger. He's not speaking of this kind of anger that we all experience where something happens, we get upset, it gets dealt with, and we move on. That's not what he's speaking about here. What he's speaking of here, the the, the Greek is the word ogre, and it's kind of like a brooding anger. That which just simmers in our hearts. It remains there, it makes a home there. Maybe a better word that we would use in a similar kind of idea is a grudge. Something that festers, sits in our hearts and remains live. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is touching on here as he speaks about anger. And he says that this kind of brooding anger is a kind that makes somebody liable to judgment. Because it's a kind of anger that ultimately we choose to allow to dwell in our hearts. Anger is a response that we willingly choose. And it remains. And it's that part that can cause such a problem. It's that part that can linger in our hearts and create havoc. And it's that part that Jesus is saying makes somebody liable to judgment. And we have insult in counsel, if we insult our brother or sister, then this makes us liable to counsel. Now, the counsel would have been a religious counsel. It would have been a counsel of people who would have passed judgments on different crimes. Generally, insulting somebody you wouldn't think would be one of the things that would get you before a counsel. But here, Jesus argues it ought to. Because once again, he's looking at that thing. We don't insult somebody from a place of neutrality. We don't insult somebody from a place of love. We insult somebody from a place of anger or grudge. And once again, that's what Jesus is tapping into with this kind of thing. In fact, even today, we're now getting back to a place in our culture where specific kinds of insults are actually considered a hate crime. If you happen to go on things like Twitter or Facebook, these things are keeping 
the place now is busy is the, the world, the real world, and not the cyber world, because some of the things that people will say and some of the things they will allude to are so hateful that our culture is recognizing actually there is an issue there that needs to be addressed. And people are prosecuted now for hate crimes based on some of the stuff that they say in environments such as that. So we're recognizing once again that there is an issue here with some of the stuff that comes out of our mouth or is typed from our keyboards because we're responsible for both. And that it's coming from our hearts and it's causing a real problem. And the third of these scenarios that he gives is contempt in hell. When he says, you fool, they will be liable to the hell of fire. So fool is somebody who's empty-headed. The literal translation of that is a blockhead. If you were to take the Greek right across into the English, that's what you're looking at, a blockhead. Somebody who is foolish. It's a term of contempt. It was quite a common term, actually, in Jesus' day. But it's a term of contempt. And what he says is these people are liable to the fire of hell. Now, one of the things we have to realize when Jesus is referring to the fire of hell here is that he's speaking of a place called Gehenna. And Gehenna was an actual place. It was a dump. It was a refuse ground. But it was also a place where Jesus and other rabbis would allude to it as a place of final punishment. And I think here Jesus is using both those meanings. This unclean, vile place is what that person deserves, is what Jesus is saying. But there is also allusions to final punishment within that as well. So there's three scenarios, not necessarily escalation, and not necessarily escalation in the punishment either, but three scenarios in which what's in our hearts is expressed in destructive and hurtful ways. And Jesus is challenging his listeners not to be in those places. But in those three scenarios, there is one judgment, and that is made clear from what Jesus says. When he says, you shall not murder, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Well, Jesus is putting these things on that same framework. The anger, the calling, the insulting, that calling somebody a fool and having that contempt for them, these things, Jesus is arguing, all have one same final outcome, that we are guilty of what he is saying here is murder. We're liable to that same judgment should These be the expressions of our hearts. This is what he's saying to the hearers of these things, that the letter of the law and the spirit of the law are actually very different. It's very easy not to murder. Or at least I would hope that that's our general experience in day-to-day life. But not to have this brooding anger that can be expressed in these ways, that's more of a challenge. It's much harder. But that's when we're looking at the roots of these things and not merely the external actions of these things. And Jesus is switching that focus now from external to internal. 
And the difficulty, I think, for, some, for, for us as well is that this is a, a normalized mentality now. To have that kind of brooding anger, it's something that is part of our culture. The world that we live in. The workplaces that we work in. Sometimes the people that we catch up with for coffee. Or the people at the school gates. Lots of this stuff we can see in everyday life. And if we're being honest, it's stuff that we ourselves sometimes are familiar with. That brooding anger that sits and festers and dwells is something that, if we're honest, we have experienced. Grudges. Yeah. Insults. If I was to ask us if we've ever spoken negatively about a brother and sister in Jesus Christ to others, would any of us be able to honestly put our hand up and say, no, I haven't done that? Being totally honest, I couldn't. Because these things do get into our hearts. These things do get into a place where they can fester and where they can influence us. And this is where we need to hear Jesus' words. His words are blunt, but his words here are for the complexity of life and the hardships and the hearts when we're let down. And what he's basically saying is anger mustn't find a permanent home in our hearts. We must have wisdom and ensure that we don't allow it to. And that's a challenge. That is a challenge for us because it is something we're familiar with. It's something that I am familiar with. I remember one story, and I've shared this in Leslie. I don't think I've shared, no, I've shared it in the evenings. I've not shared it in the mornings. But there was a time when I, when I was in Leslie and one of the elders came to visit. And this is when I was doing the YF work. And all of a sudden said, yeah, the elders met last night. We've decided we're shutting the youth work down. What? Yeah, because we're, we're struggling with something else, we've decided we're, we're going to close this group. I didn't agree with that. But what I learned was, actually, whether I did agree with it or not, was secondary to how I responded to it. Because I responded to it in the ways that Jesus speaks of here. And now I live with the guilt of that, actually. Because I think, and Leslie at that time, we had a, a minister fresh out of college. And I think I made his life a misery at that point. I really do. And I was so convinced in my rightness that I didn't actually think about my actions. So righteous in my anger that I misbehaved with what I was saying to others. And what I said in my body language and it wasn't right. And that's a shame I now live with and have confessed both to God and to my minister there at the time. But it's that familiar, brooding kind of anger that can make its home in our lives and it can become just so normalized for us. Now there is that other kind of anger, that kind of anger that flares up. Um, an anger that I'm sure we all experience from time to time. Depending on our temperaments to some degree, but we all experience it. Some people are short-tempered. Other people are more patient. 
but we all experience a flaring anger where it flares up. I think I experience it most mornings between 8 and 9 when I'm trying to get Anna ready for school. That flares up. That's not the kind of anger that Jesus is speaking about here. That kind of anger can actually sometimes be somewhat constructive. Maybe not between 8 and 9 with me and Anna. But it can spur us to do things. It can spur us to action. When we see wrongs, when we see injustices, we respond and that makes us deal with it. It makes us challenge things. It makes us do things. So that kind of anger, when it's controlled, when it's managed, when it's kept in the right perspective, is okay. It's this brooding kind of anger that we have to resist normalizing in our hearts and in our lives. And our world has normalized it. We have to recognize that. The cultures that we live in have normalized this kind of anger. We see it expressed in things like prejudice, racism, hate. We see it in wars. We see it, sadly, in our tabloids these days as well. If you want to see this kind of normalized brood and anger, then just read some of the front covers of some of the papers and you will get plenty of evidence of it. And it's feeding others tragically as well. But we sadly see it now even in our politics. Our politics will try to tap into anger. A sense of disenfranchisement. Let me try that word again. No, I'm not even going to try. But a sense of disconnection. A sense that we are outside of things. A sense that there is this group, for instance, use the American election, Washington is elite. And they tap into that anger, that brooding anger. And it's been done throughout history. It'll be done again. And it's normal and it's normalized in our cultures. But one of the things that really struck me about what Jesus says is the charge he's given is actually quite fair when you think about the effects that these actions have. Now, I shared a second ago about my behavior to my minister at the time. I tried to think about how difficult that made his life, how much stress that gave him at that time. But I wasn't thinking about any of that at that time. Words hurt. Has anyone here ever been hurt by what somebody said? Yeah. Now, what takes longer sometimes to get over? The words or like a dead arm or something? It's the words. Words hurt. They wound. I mean, we will have heard that phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never harm me. That's a complete lot of nonsense. It really is. Because it's the words that do the deepest hurts. It's when people do insult us that we're hurt the most. It's when people do think we're foolish and useless and dispensable that we experience the most pain. That's the most difficult stuff. More so than the physical stuff. His charge is fair because words, as the Bible tells us, words have the power to bring life. When we encourage, when we build up, when we care, when we nurture. But they have the power to bring death. When we do these things and when we insult others and when we say horrible things about people, this brings death. 
And sometimes we do actually see it play out as people get low and people get depressed and people get stuck. Words can do these things. Actions can do these things. Jesus' charge is fair because of the impact that this brooding anger can have, not just on us, but on those around us as well. So what do we do? Well, one of the things we see here is that relationships are the priority. This is one of the key things. The anger and grudges must not gain a home in our hearts. For when it does, we go to a place that Jesus charges people with this most grave of sins. And Jesus gives teaching on this. He gives instruction on this. And he says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and they'll remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Leave it there. Before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. Jesus is placing a priority here on relationships. And there's a couple of really important things to pick up on that. And one of the really important things is, is that he flips things here. He flips things over here. The amount of times I've heard a Christian say that if I'm aware, if I have something against my brother, I have to go to them, is this verse. It's remarkable. Whereas Jesus actually flips it here and says, if you're aware that your brother or sister has something against you, then go to them. Don't wait for them to come to you. Be proactive. Be intentional. Be urgent. And actually what he's saying here is to drop your gift. Your gift, your offering is something sacred. It's something important. It's something vital between your relationship with you and God. Something that was commanded in the Bible. And here Jesus is saying, drop it. Leave it. And go and deal with this first and then come back and resume that. He is placing the relationships that people are to have with one another at a really significant priority here. So Jesus prioritizes our relationships. And whilst we might find that remarkable, it shouldn't actually surprise us. For Jesus is the one that says, others will know we are his by how we love one another. John in the Bible says that, that, that we can't claim to love God when we hate our brothers and sisters. Love, unity, these things are so important. And this anger, this brooding kind of anger gets in between that. And Jesus is saying that people are to be urgent when it comes to restoring those relationships. So what do we do then about all of this? The parable, there is this parable almost at the end of the verses. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're, while you're going to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge. The judge to the guard, you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid every last penny. Now that might seem somewhat out of place. Why is Jesus suddenly swerved into that? But his point is that there's to be urgency. Urgency when it comes to reconciliation. Because the consequences of not doing it can be vast. We are a people that as we hear Jesus' words must ensure that we don't let anger to make its home in us. That we practice reconciliation. That we practice reconciliation. That's one of the key things. The reconciled 
reconcile. So as we ponder things such as reconciliation, what, what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, Jesus is our example of it. He is the embodiment of what it means to live and practice reconciliation. And ultimately, he is the only way we can do that. For one of the things that Jesus came to do was to live as an example for us, but he also came to reconcile us to God. And that's what we call the gospel, the good news. That all the stuff that we have done, the stuff that's upset and offended God, the, what, what we call sin, when we lie and when we hate, and all this stuff that separates us from other humans and from God himself. Jesus came to remove that hostility. And he did that by the cross. We are now in that Lent period where we're reflecting, where we are preparing our hearts and our minds for Easter, for what that means, what it signifies. But it signifies this remarkable moment of grace when God himself took that offense, that division between us and God, and completely abolished it on the cross, creating that possibility for us to be reconciled with God so that we can, restart, we can return to God. To understand reconciliation is to look to Jesus and see it lived out in that most remarkable way. That he removed that division. And we imitate. We imitate. We seek to remove hostility in our hearts, to reconcile relationships that have been damaged, to seek to restore things. One of the things that reconciliation means is it's a restoration to a relationship, ideally back to the point before the offense happened. So ideally things go back to what they were before the, the event happened. And I use that phrase ideally because sometimes that's not possible. But that is what the intent behind reconciliation is. So what reconciliation isn't is smiling at somebody, pretending everything's okay, but actually still harboring this brooding anger within our hearts. It's not reconciliation. It's just acting. It's not what Jesus is speaking about. But it's about truly removing whatever might be there, dealing with the event and restoring the relationship. But one of the absolute key things to all this, and one of the biggest vulnerabilities about reconciliation is it requires an embrace of cost. And if we look at Jesus, then we see that. For Jesus, reconciliation meant that he had to experience death. And that brought the possibility of reconciliation. There was a cost. And oftentimes for us, there is a cost with reconciliation as well. It requires compromise. It requires listening. It requires letting go of that brooding anger. It requires getting to a place where we want to move past the event and the pain and the hurt. And a lot of that requires us experiencing something similar, dying to self in some ways. Reconciliation isn't something that's easy. And it doesn't mean we just smile and pretend things are okay. It's something costly. 
And we know that because that's how Jesus lived and executed that thing of reconciliation. And as imitators of that, we shouldn't be surprised if we experience the same thing ourselves. So we are the reconciled who are called to reconcile. We look to Jesus and we seek to imitate that costly practice of forgiveness and reconciliation so that that brooding anger can't find a home in our hearts and influence us in some of the harmful ways that Jesus speaks of in these verses. We're called to think different, to, to be different to what we see in the world and to be like Jesus. And he stood out. Stood out remarkably. The call is to be a different people. And this, is a, this is a little treat here for you, Jay. To think different. We are called to walk to that beat of Jesus. To imitate him. To follow him. To be like him, even to the point of being willing to pay a cost. And to, like him, try and resist these forms of anger taking root in our hearts. And we're called to be an honest people. Honest that these things do actually happen. That these things do sit in our hearts. That these are things that we are familiar with. And not to pretend that it's never a situation that we've experienced. That's part of the reason why I shared that example from my life. It's not one that I boast about, it's one that I'm ashamed of. But it's there. And for most of us, if not all of us, we will have experienced similar situations. We make mistakes. We upset one another. Living in community is hard. It requires compromise and listening and care and love. And that can be difficult in a relationship of two people. But when you seek to live that out in a community of people, it's a challenge. And we will get hurt. We will get upset. We will get let down. We will experience anger. But the challenge is, in the midst of all of that, to hear what Jesus is saying, what he's encouraging, and not to let that anger take root in our heart. And to be honest, if it does, and seek to deal with it, gracefully, compassionately, in Christ, likely as well. And we must be a people that prioritized relationships. This is what Jesus is asking of people as he speaks of dropping the offering to go and sort stuff out. Relationships are hard. All relationships are. But Jesus and John both teach us that there is this connection between our relationships together and our relationships with God. And for me, one of the most striking examples of that is Paul on Damascus Road. He's off. He's got this order to go and hunt and arrest some Christians and get them at least imprisoned, if not worse. And all of a sudden he encounters this blinding light. And it's Jesus. And Jesus' question to him isn't, why are you attacking my followers? Why are you persecuting my followers? It's, why are you persecuting me? 
because there is that connection between us and God and the relationships that exist within that. So we're to prioritize our relationship. We have to be honest with ourselves and gentle with ourselves and with others and to ensure that we use and practice these remarkable words of Jesus. Honestly, humbly, realistically, when we see these things and identify them in our hearts, seeking to deal with them and not allowing that brooding anger that can be so harmful to take its home in our lives.